0: Hey, good evening there, kiddos. Okay, so it's finally time for us to start the new book by S.D. Smith, also with his son Josiah Smith. Um, it's called Jack Zulu and the Waylander's Key. Um, I've read the first three chapters. I really like it so far. And I won't chat you up any further, but I will start here uh, on the dedications page. So from Josiah, it says, To Anne, thanks for being my first fan and first friend. I have been and always shall be yours. And from Sam, to Claire and Myrtle Smith, with deep love and grateful remembrance, rest eternal and light perpetual. All right, there's a prologue. And this prologue is from the Holy Book of Rancast Waybreaker, recorded by Scribe Gelder. Hmm. So it begins here. I do not receive, I take. I am between and above the worlds. I am the greatest being to have ever lived, though I began much like any other, doomed to servitude and humiliation. But I do not receive, I take. And I have taken and taken, and shall never stop until I have more than anyone has ever had. In my youth I was told, that my days were numbered and commanded to be grateful. But, like a thousand other limits I was given, I was not satisfied to abide by these tyrannical laws. I transcend law and life, and so searched for the breaking of this great limitation. I went to Thandalia and brought war, finally marching on the golden city itself. I took the fruit, killing their last golden winged guard, and now I shall never die. I will go on and on, augmenting myself with a thousand enhancements wrenched from the most sacred chambers of the twelve realms. I will be everything, Free from the frail shackles of my birth lot. I have strained and grasped and shall hold all, ever striving, until I ascend and contend for all. I do not receive, I take. Hmm, okay, pretty happy way to begin the book there. All right, chapter one is called, There's No Home Like Place. There's No Home Like Place. (laughs) And this is set in Myrtle, West Virginia, in September of 1984. Oh, okay. So this was almost 40 years ago. Your dad would have been 10 years old and mommy would have been uh, 7 years old. Okay. The problem with baseball is that at first you're desperate to leave home. Then, once you're gone, you'll do just about anything to get back. Even steal. But you can't get back the way you came. You have to take another way home. Jack Zulu stepped into the right side of the batter's box. Bat pointed, poised, as he glanced at the left field fence. A well, Homer would win it. It was only an after school pickup game, sure, but to Jack it was another step on the long road to greater things. Things far from Myrtle, West Virginia. Jack's father, dead now for many years, had immigrated from South Africa, where the last name of Zulu was as common as Robinson. His father had married a West Virginia girl after college and settled into her small town of Myrtle. Jack's background was complex, but his focus was singular. He was going somewhere. Somewhere else. Hefty Leftwich smirked from the pitcher's mound, spitting a used-up sunflower seed to emphasize his contempt. Jack smiled, anticipating the portly pitcher's inevitable inside fastball. Jack's best friend, Benny Marino, looked up from his comic book as the game neared its zenith. Pushing his glasses up the bridge of his freckled nose, he stomped twice on the aging bleachers, then clapped, looking around as if surprised no one else joined in. The rusty bleachers at Myrtle Park were empty. Benny stood, raising his arms as if part of an energetic crowd to do the wave. Jack laughed, glancing from Benny back to Hefty. "'Don't get cocky, Zulu,' Hefty said, digging into the deepening trench in front of the pitcher's mound. Jack looked past Hefty to the runner on second base and beyond him to the groundskeeper, Mr. Wheeler, mowing the grass around the not-too-distant playground.' The sun sprayed in dappled gaps through the apple trees and glinted off Mr. Wheeler's gold-rimmed glasses. Jack could see a smile standing out on his bearded face. Mr. Wheeler was a good man. He owned the bookshop in town and kept the grounds for the park. He also kept Jack supplied with strange old books, the kind Jack loved. About Ancient curses in lost lands, about treasure hidden beyond forgotten canyons, cut off but for a fraying rope bridge. It also treated Jack to devastating defeats in a series of chess matches, stretching back several years. Jack smiled again, shaking his head at the strange old man in the shimmering distance. Benny sighed loudly, snapping Jack back into the game. Come on, Jack, I'm wasting away. Knock in one, just one teensy run and end this thing so we can go eat. Hefty spat again. Shut up, Marino, trying to pitch here. Trying, Benny replied quietly, but not succeeding. After I strike Zulu out, Hefty said, I'll deal with you. Okay, Benny replied, so never... Why don't you even? Why don't you ever play with us, little Benny Marino? Hefty asked, taking a step toward the stands. Seems like all you're good for is bringing Jack his bat. You're a clown. Several of Hefty's teammates laughed. Benny was tall, skinny, and freckle-faced, with curly orange hair tufting out beneath a faded myrtle, cardinal's baseball hat. He smirked and sat down. "'Just pitch,' Jack said, switching to the left side of the batter's box. His smile was gone. Hefty snickered and raised his glove to cover his mouth and spoke in a mock whisper. "'Benny's so pale because he lives in Jack's shadow.' "'We're all living in your shadow, Hefty,' Jack said, bumping his bat in preparation for the pitch." Hefty snarled and began his wind-up. Driving off the rubber, Hefty brought his considerable bulk to the service of his fastball. Jack's eyes narrowed and his hands flashed, bringing his bat around to crack against the speeding ball. The ball sprang from the bat, rising to climb high into the Appalachian sky, far over the right field fence. Jack was rounding second by the time the ball came to rest deep in the woods. The shortstop, Tommy Eaches, slapped Jack's back. "'You're coming to the cookout? Coach Spatz says says there's a whole middle school team needs to be there, or we'll pay for it in the spring with extra running.' "'Please come, Jack. Hefty will die if we have to run more than a few feet.' Shut up, Eaches, Hefty moaned. I'll think about it, Jack said, heading for third. Tommy went on. I heard Coach Furman, the high school coach, is coming to our cookout to scout. He's coming just to watch you play, man. Some people say you could start, Jack, as a freshman. When we get there, Tommy called out. Sorry, I had to stop there for a second. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I'm here at work. Andrew stopped in. He said hello. Some people say you could start, Jack, as a freshman when we get there. Tommy called. No one's done that in years. Just come. Jack stepped on third base and headed for the gate. You're not going home? Tommy asked. "'Gotta get out of here, Tommy,' Jack said. "'Things to do!' "'Nerd books to read,' Hefty muttered from his spot, "'plopping down and sulking on the pitcher's mound. "'Jack didn't look back, just snagged his backpack and walked on. "'Benny was there, already on his bike and holding up Jack's. "'Your noble steed, my lord.' "'Thank you, Assistant Butler,' Jack replied, "'hopping on and strapping on his backpack.' Assistant butler, Benny feigned shock. I was sure that promotion was secured by how well I ironed your trousers yesterweek. Alas, no, Jack said smiling. Hey, sorry about Hefty, he's a big loser. He is big, Benny replied, and he did just lose, so you have a point. Can we go eat now? Free pizza for a half-African kid at your dad's place? Appalachianos awaits. Benny's braces glinted in the sunlight. I can't believe you're not sick of the food at your family's restaurant. A Mamma mia, Jack, Benny replied, mimicking his dad's strong Italian accent. You've eaten an Appalachianos almost as much as I have. Are you sick of it? Jack shook his head. Negatoriano. So let's go. I need to go see mom, Jack said. You visited her before the game, Jack, Benny replied. He spoke softly now, with no hint of humor. Jack's mom, a widow for many years now, was in the hospital, and things were looking bad. Benny punched Jack's arm softly. Didn't she say you had to stay away until tomorrow after school or you're grounded? She did say that, Jack laughed. I guess I can go enjoy Myrtle's finest cuisine with you. Jack paused, glancing at the maintenance shed past the outfield fence, where some of Hefty's teammates were searching for Jack's home run ball. Mr. Wheeler was pushing his mower into the shed beyond which lay the woods. The deep woods held some of the oldest trees for miles, great historical curiosities for their age and enormity. People called that section of the woods the ancient glade. Jack kind of loved it. Benny snapped a few times and waved his hands in front of Jack's face. Earth to Jack? What? I feel like you were going to tell me that you're not coming directly to my... I'll meet you there, Jack said as their bikes rolled down the, the park toward the bridge. And there it is. Benny frowned at his friend. I can't emphasize to you how much hunger is happening in my inner person. The troll inside me must eat. Troll hungry, Jack. I need to swing by Mr. Wheeler's. Run out of weird old books? Of course not, Jack said, feigning shock. I'm getting video games and video movies. Video movies? Benny rolled his eyes. And they're making movies with video these days, Benny boy. It's the 80s. Try to keep up. So, weird old books. Jack nodded. Yes, of course, it's weird old books. Mr. Wheeler's always got a steady stash for you, doesn't he? He does. Man, the last one had a story of an ancient diver who could hold his breath for half an hour. He explored the coves of Lithaffendishire for years, until he found a silver dagger. Benny snored loudly and pretended to almost wreck. Oh, very mature, Jack said. Mature, Benny asked, feigning a wound. Was this treasure diver an elf? "Uh, He might have been. Okay, yes he was. Sober and diver was a true son of Elifloferlin. Benny smirked. How are you? So cool and so nerdy at the same time. Jack shrugged. Benny went on. I see Mr. Wheeler out there mowing. So you're just going to break into a shop and steal books? He leaves a stack for me, and I'm free to come and go as I please. Don't worry, I'll get to Appalachianos as fast as I can there, Benny bro. Okay, hurry up. If you're not there very, very soon after I arrive... I won't be held responsible for your half of the pie. You always eat my half of anyways. You always eat half of my half anyways. Jack began to pedal. It's the troll, man. He's out of control. Benny shrugged and pedaled on, acting casual. Then, all at once, he tensed up. Race you to the bridge. Jack smiled Benny always pulled this stunt ever since they were little kids. So Jack was already pedaling hard before Benny finished speaking. Speeding down the little hill, Jack easily beat Benny to the old stone bridge for the thousandth time. The bridge was a local curiosity fashioned from stacked stones ornately fitted and bonded with a strange mortar that was a bit of a historical oddity. According to to town history buffs, the bridge was older than the town itself. The oldest Indian sources claimed the elders had never known a time when it wasn't there. The stonework was fantastic, both beautiful and sturdy. The old stone bridge, its four parapets like chess rooks marking its corners, was featured on the town's crest and splashed across what passed for its tourism industry. One of Benny's favorite t-shirts featured the bridge and said, quote, Myrtle, West Virginia, a good town with a nice old bridge. Leaving the bridge behind, the boys pedaled on through tree-lined roads up and down a few small hills and dips "'till they passed Gander's Gas on the left "'and rode on into the small downtown of Myrtle. "'Woods gave way to small shops "'connected on each side of Sequoia Street. "'Benny pedaled ahead with an exaggerated gesture "'of tapping his wristwatch. "'Hurry up!' he moaned in a Halloween ghost voice. "'Jack waved him away and veered off the road stopping at the shop nestled between Mabel's General Store and Myrtle's Diner. Down the road, there was an arcade and an ice cream shop. According to the sign, Wheeler's Good Books was, quote, open today, 11 a.m. to 11.43 p.m., probably, Jack stashed his bike and walked to the door. Even though he had just seen Mr. Wheeler at the park, He knew the door would be unlocked. It always was. Jack had been coming here for years and had never once found it locked. Smiling, Jack reached for the handle. Hey! A harsh voice came from behind. Jack spun to see a policeman leaning out of his cruiser window, his face set hard with suspicion. It softened quickly. Oh, it's you, Jack. Sorry, kid. It was Officer Hawkins, one of Jack's dad's former co-workers on the force. Reuben Zulu had been the first immigrant to become police chief in the county's history. He was also one of, the, one of only two blacks to have ever served on the force. No problem, Jack said, smiling stiffly and not meaning it. Officer Hawkins looked embarrassed. Can't wait to see you hit some dingers in the spring Jack. The old man would have been proud Jack nodded then turned back to the door twisting the handle and hurrying inside For a minute. He just stood inside the doorway of the dimly lit shop breathing that familiar scent of old books and missing his father terribly Soon, unless something miraculous happened, he'd have no mother either. Sadness welled up in him. He fought it down again with his rock-solid resolution to break free of this small, sad, backward town. What was his future? Fatherless? Soon to be motherless? Homeless? Hopeless? He had to do something to change his destiny. Hello, Jack. Jack looked up to see Mr. Wheeler in his favorite chair, a book open in one hand and a pipe in the other, gray smoke spiraling away, settled and serene as if he'd been there all day. One second, kiddos. I'm working the board and I gotta check a few things here. There we go. There we go. Okay, looking good. Okay. Chapter 2 is called The Box and the Tree. How'd you get here so fast, Mr. Wheeler? Jack asked. Ah, he replied, setting his book on an end table. Have you come for fresh books, my lad? Jack nodded, noting once again how Mr. Wheeler had managed to politely dodge a direct question. Laying his backpack on the counter near the ancient cash register, the register Jack had never seen in operation, Jack fished inside and produced three books. They were worn, their once diversely-colored covers fading to a gray-brown sameness. They matched the other such volumes in the packed aisles. Bindings, sometimes still bright with gold or silver words, were symbols. Every book in the shop seemed as ancient as the old stone bridge. There were new books, but Jack loved the large section of old ones. These modest-looking volumes held endless adventures inside and fascinating imagined histories of far-flung, enchanted worlds. I have three more set aside for you, so I do, Mr. Wheeler said in his unusual accent. It was a mix of Appalachian and Irish with odd old expressions thrown in. He would often add so I do or to be sure and things like that to his sentences. Mr. Wheeler pointed to the books on the counter. Did anything stand out about those last three volumes? Yes, Jack said, carefully reshelving his three returns on the staging case. Sober Diver was fascinating a hero in an era of villains. It was cool to get to him and to see his story come right at the end. Ah, yes, Mr. Wheeler said, standing slowly. Sobrin was one of the noblest elves of that age, and a good fa- He paused, eyes twinkling in the lamplight. A good fable to read, so it was. Jack's eyebrow arched. Is there more to the story? Mr. Wheeler smiled wryly, tapping his pipe out in a used teacup. There always is. Despite him being the closest thing to a scholar Jack had ever known, Mr. Wheeler's hands were a laborer's hands, with long fingers extending to neat nails rimmed with dirt. The last digit on his right hand was half as long as the one on his left hand, a calloused nub ending at the knuckle. Sir, in the story of his last dive, Sobrin lost a finger. I hope you don't mind me asking, Jack said. But what happened to your little finger? One second here, kiddos. Got to acknowledge an alarm. Okay. I hope you don't mind me asking, Jack said. But what happened to your little finger? I never told you about this downsized digit. I never asked. Well, Jack, he said, frowning at the finger. It was, I'm sorry to say, caught in a door. What kind of door? Mr. Wheeler chuckled to himself and closed his eyes a moment. A very old one, to be sure. Gotta watch out for doors, Jack said. Mr. Wheeler nodded. You never know where they might take you. Or, Jack replied, what they might take from you. Mr. Wheeler smiled wide, opening his bright eyes. Point. Point. "'Jonathan Jack Zulu.' "'Jack bowed neatly, waving his hand in a modest flourish. "'Tell me, Jack,' Mr. Wheeler said, his face changing to show concern. "'How is your mother?' "'Jack winced, inhaling deeply. "'She's... sir, she's not doing well. "'I'm so sorry.' "'Thanks.' Jack bit his lip and towed the aged hardwood floor. I'm not sure they're telling me everything. I think they're afraid I'm too young to hear, to hear the worst. That she is dying, poor dear, Mr. Wheeler said almost in a whisper. Jack nodded. I'm so close to losing everyone, my whole family. We never know how much time we have left with those we love, Mr. Wheeler said. His face was knowing and sad, telling Jack these weren't just words. What should I do? What does Mrs. Zulu say? Jack swallowed. She told me today that they need to keep her overnight again, but that I should stay home and come and see her tomorrow after school. I am sorry, Jack, Mr. Wheeler said. You're a good son to her, and she knows that you love her. What would you do? I would do as she says tonight. Then tomorrow I would find out the truth. I would go there and show that, despite being just shy of my thirteenth birthday, I am capable of handling what is truly happening. I'm not sure I am. I am sure, Jack, Mr. Wheeler said, that this, that that is the kind of young man you are, the kind of man you are becoming. There is no other way but to face the truth and act nobly in love. That is the only way. Jack nodded again. I will. Have you eaten yet? Mr. Wheeler asked, headed to Appalachianos to meet Benny. Benito Marino, Mr. Wheeler said, smiling. Now he's a character. He's basically my brother. Mr. Wheeler looked out the window. You are his. I guess so, Jack said. So, you're not losing quite everyone, not just yet. I guess not. Well, please know I'm praying for your mother, and for you, and I hope you know I'm here to help you in any way I can. Thank you, Jack said, walking to the counter where the new books waited. He flipped open the top book of the stack, a pale, plum-colored tome with gold leaf edging, and a warrior icon on the spine. "'A history of Geldensplat after the Fourth Dawn Charge War?' he asked, casting a skeptical glance at the older man. Mr. Wheeler's brow furrowed. "'Problem?' "'The problem is, why have you been holding out on me?' Jack said, laughing. "'I've been dying to pick up the histories after Dawn Charge Four. Thanks!' He closed the book and carefully placed it, along with the other two, in his backpack. You are most welcome, Mr. Wheeler replied, shaking his head. There is a love story about a warrior named Kovair and a princess named Krenye in the second book that will get your young heart beating fast. Jack nodded and smiled awkwardly. Super, he said flatly. Michelle Johnson's face appeared in his mind, and he inhaled deeply. Mr. Wheeler squinted at the window, which showed a wide sky above the early autumn hills of West Virginia, and his wry smile vanished in a moment of intense concern. It was a brief flash of panic, but Jack had rarely seen anything approaching worry on the older man's face. Jack usually felt cool and calm himself and thought of himself as being much like Mr. Wheeler. But when it came to Michelle, Jack was anything but cool and calm. The beautiful and enigmatic girl made him sweat and stutter and stammer and grow suddenly clumsy. He hated how hard it could be to even talk to her. A clear memory of their last conversation surfaced. It had involved a profoundly awkward pause that seemed eternal. Jack's attention jumped back to the present. Mr. Wheeler had been talking. I'm sorry, sir, I missed that. I said, Mr. Wheeler repeated, have you made your move yet? Jack winced, and Michelle's image came to mind again. My move? He smiled nervously. I am eager to crush you on the field of battle, so I am. Mr. Wheeler said, but I cannot do that if you do not move. Jack exhaled with relief, finally realizing that the shopkeeper was referring to their ongoing game of chess. Of, of course, I'm on it. Jack hurried down the hallway passed three closed doors, and glanced back at Mr. Wheeler, who gazed out the large window. Jack entered the musty room with the small wooden table and two handmade wooden chairs. A chessboard sat on the table beside one unlit candle. Jack surveyed his position, sizing up the situation quickly. Mr. Wheeler's last move had complicated the game further, and the only way ahead for Jack was a frontal attack with heavy casualties and inevitable, likely swift defeat. He moved his Black Queen ahead. Check, he said to no one. Returning to the main part of the bookshop, Jack found Mr. Wheeler hovering over an ornate wooden box on the counter. "'Did you lose something? Your keys?' Jack asked. Mr. Wheeler looked back at Jack, his eyes wider than usual. "'What did you ask?' "'I asked if you lost your keys. I'd be glad to help you find them.' "'Oh, my keys,' Mr. Wheeler replied. "'Yes. Yes, Jack, I have lost something.' "'Okay.' Jack said. Mr. Wheeler was flustered. There's a first time for everything. I'll help. Jack peered at the floor. No, thank you, Mr. Wheeler said, squinting. I will find it, so will. I think I just need to retrace my steps. I must go back to the park. Did you see a large bird? A crow, perhaps, on your way here? No, Jack replied. Ah, Mr. Wheeler said. Jack, I wonder if I could ask you to look after this a while while I'm gone. He held up the box, his concerned eyes flitting between it and Jack. Then he looked out the window again, his eyes thinning to slits. Looking back at Jack, he frowned. "'Just keep it with you at all times, Jack. "'It's very dear to me. "'And if I am am unable to... "'No, Jack, you have enough on your... "'Well, just please keep an eye on it, and I... "'I should be back soon. "'If I'm not back soon and you need to go on to join Benny, "'please do take it with you and keep it close, will you now?' "'I'd be glad to.' Jack replied, feeling some of Mr. Wheeler's nervous energy. It's safe with me. Mr. Wheeler slowly handed the box to Jack, then spun and hurried to the door. He hovered by the handle a moment while Jack glanced at the box. Then, with a flurry, Mr. Wheeler dashed through the doorway. Jack shook his head. There was always odd things about Mr. Wheeler, but it had never before involved panic or haste. Sometimes he would disappear for long weeks at a time. Once, he was gone for over a year. Shrugging, Jack crossed over to the counter and, under the lamplight, examined the wooden box. It bore ancient runes surrounding a spreading tree burned black on the pale grain. There were twelve branches on the tree, and its roots extended down and spread in a near-mirror image of the branches above. Jack flipped it around and saw a latch that no doubt triggered the top to release. He was sorely tempted to open it and see what was inside that so concerned Mr. Wheeler. Mr. Wheeler had not forgotten had not forbidden him to open the box. No, he trusts me. I should wait for him to come back. Still, his hand played over the catch while his mind mulled over possibilities for what could be inside this box. Or was it the box itself that needed watching? I can slide open the catch and then just reseal it. I don't have to open it. His fingers found the switch, and he began pressing on it. The phone rang. Jack spun, breathless and heart-pounding. Laying the box on the counter, he hurried to the wall-mounted receiver to answer the phone. Wheeler's good books, Jack speaking. Jack! Benny's voice boomed in the handset. Get down here, prano! I'm coming, Benny. I won't be long. You got to get that hunger troll under control. Oh, I already ate, Benny said. But I got bigger news. Michelle's here. Michelle? Jack wiped his suddenly sweating palms on his jeans. Yeah, Benny groaned. You know, the prettiest girl in middle school? Jack wasn't sure if that was a reason to avoid Appalachianos or to go. Right. Oh, dang, man, I'm kind of stuck here at Wheeler's for a bit. Jack, you got to get down here. The jukebox is booming and this is the place to be. You never know how much time you have to make your move, man. I guess I could pop down there, Jack said, thinking that he could follow Mr. Wheeler's instructions to keep an eye on the box and slip down to the pizzeria for a little while. He knows where to find me. Did she order anything? Yeah, Benny said, her usual pie. Mushrooms and olives, easy on the cheesy. Her whole family is here. Can you get your dad to, um, you know, delay the order a little? I'd have to leave him in on the conspiracy, Benny said. And Jack could tell he was smiling by the sound of his voice. Of course, he's a pizza man, but he also hails from a long line of Italiano romantics. Thanks, man, Jack said. Bye. He replaced the receiver and grabbed the notepad beside the rusted cash register. He wrote, I'm just going down to the pizza place, don't worry, I'll keep an eye on the box. I'll, e- I'll be either there or home. He signed it, J, and took off toward the door, tripping as he went. He balanced and gripped the door handle, opening it and hurrying outside. The door slammed behind him, and he stopped. The box! He had, after promising to watch it, Immediately left the box inside along with his backpack. He turned around, muttering insults to himself as he did. Why do I always lose my cool when it comes to Michelle? Always! He reached for the door handle. It was locked. Chapter 3 Pizza and problems. And kiddos, we're going to stop there for tonight. I think that's a good stopping place. I need a little break. Got to stretch my legs, check out all of my equipment that's running here. Anyways, so we got a good start though, right? Got some interesting characters. We got Benny, we got Mr. Wheeler. We got Jack, of course. We're getting to know his parents a little bit, even though his dad is, unfortunately, his dad has passed and his mom is very sick in the hospital. We know he has a, how are we going to say it, kiddos? He's got uh, a girl that he thinks is very pretty. So does Benny, too. She must just be very pretty. And tell you what, I know how that feels, because I have four very pretty girls living in my house. Hey, Gideon, Garrison, did you guys know that? Yes. I'm very proud to say I have four beautiful girls. One is my wife, and three are my daughters living in my house. And it's okay, Totally okay to say uh, say the girls are pretty or boys are handsome, right? Totally, totally co- cool with that. Maybe a little young. He's only twelve, moving on to thirteen. But hey, you know it's life. Okay, I love you, kiddos. I will be praying for you. Hope you have a good day tomorrow. Not sure if it's a school night or not by the time you listen to this, but I know. Uh, well, here's the truth. I started reading this a couple nights ago, and I've started two times already, and the recording has got messed up. So, this is like the third time I have read through these two chapters. It's kind of a bummer. But, um, anyways, I am going to hit stop and try and get these published so I don't lose them this time. All right, I love you kids. Have a good night. I'll catch you here soon for Chapter 3.
1: Wherever you lay down to sleep, and all things are made good for those who believe, may you grow from a seed into a strong. days unfold, hold your breath to see, life is a mystery, and joy is when the way is rough and steep.